0: listening to Raíces Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of black indigenous people of color and connection to the environment. My name is Samara Almonte, and I acknowledge that I am recording a Nooksack Indian tribe and in the Lummi Nation, which are part of the Salish tribes, also known as Bellingham, Washington. Our guest today is located in Yonkers, New York, right outside of the city, which occupies the traditional territory of the Algo, Algo Queen, Mohegan and Manjare's tribe. So I'm really excited for our guests today. Um, I recently met them on social media, and I just really love the work that they've been doing. So for today's episode, we have Cassandra Tejada is a promoter of sustainable fashion and sustainable living. She sets out to take up space within the sustainable fashion community as a Muslim, Dominican, Peruvian, Colombian woman. She shares her own modest and sustainable style and Islamic lifestyle on her Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. She's also an aspiring entrepreneur who is working towards launching a sustainable, modest clothing line. Hi, Cassandra. Hi. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited for this mini-series on faith and sustainability, especially in these times. I think a lot of folks... Are turning in spiritually and really looking into their faith, you know, to get us through these times. So I'm really excited for this.
1: Me too. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So I guess just how are you doing? How's your day starting? I know it's already afternoon for you over there. So how are you doing today?
1: My day is good. I am currently fasting for the month of Ramadan, so um, less energy. <laughs> but um, so far it's been
0: good, yeah. No, yeah, and definitely thank you for agreeing to record in such a important time of the year. It makes it a little bit more special, right, but at the same time I can understand that it can be yeah. overwhelming, so I appreciate that.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: So to get to know you a little bit more, um, when you first maybe heard of the concept Raíces Verdes or "Red Green Roots, what came to mind to you? Like, What, what does that inspire in you?
1: Yeah, so one of the first things that came to mind, um, the thought of um, my Dominican side. Um, So when I was younger, I would go to DR all the time, and my grandpa, he had a farm. And so for me, the conversation to have with my dad about, you know, like what that was like really came up when I um, started thinking about, you know, uh, green race and stuff like that. And then also just like faith, and also being, um, I guess, uh, a Latina, knowing that I have, like, indigenous blood in me. Um, Yeah, so those are some thoughts that just came up, you know, regarding green races.
0: Right, thank you for sharing that. Um, So, I'm really excited to share about your intersecting identities, because it was so funny, just yesterday, I was going on a rant about how often we get homogenized as Latinx folks, right? And how even sometimes the term Latinx or Latinidad can definitely, like, put us all into this one big lump when we are so different. Um, I personally am from Mexican background. So, you know, like, my experience is obviously very different from yours. Um, And so so I'm excited to talk about some of those intersecting identities for you. So could you speak more, you know, um, on the intersection of being Latinx um, or part of these different communities that you just mentioned and also identifying as Muslim?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the intersections, it's been really interesting because um, I'm a revert or convert to Islam. Um, I converted November 2013. And at that time, I didn't know a single Latina or Latino Muslim. Mm -hmm. Um, And just now... Just more recently, the last couple years, there's really been like a lot more that I'm actually meeting and um, seeing and even Texas in Texas, there was the first um, Spanish-speaking mosque that was built. So yeah, it's been really interesting to see like sort of the growth. and also on a, on a different level, um, of, like, connecting, I guess, my identities as someone who is, you know, a Dominican, proving Colombian, um, g- grew up Catholic, uh, and to really see, like, the idea that, like, Islam is this foreign religion when Christianity also is a foreign religion it was something opposed on indigenous people and even the um, African people brought here. So, yeah, there's been a lot of like intersections and I don't know, really interesting things that like, I guess my identities kind of bring up.
0: No, definitely. Um, I really like what you said about how even Catholicism or Christianity were foreign to our people, uh, because (laughs) I think about that too with the Spanish language, right? Like we... We find comfort in the Spanish language and we sometimes we think of it as like our native language, our first language, especially if our families were like first generation immigrants to this country. But in reality, like that also wasn't our native language. Right. Like we we had other languages and the same thing is with religion. So I know we connected a little bit over um, social media, like with the event that you were hosting um, Mm -hmm. about like how. Catholicism really erased some of that indigenous practice with the land especially with the environment yeah so I don't know if that's something that's come up with you at all through your journey of like um finding a new religious a new religion and a new spirituality
1: yeah so I think early on like my my search for you know a religion was just basically like an awakening within myself of realizing God exists and then me trying to figure out, okay, well, what is the right way or what is the the correct way? Um, because I just became really conscious of it. Um, but then my journey and then like it coming up in my own community with like my mom and stuff, my mom once told me a story about, like, so my mom was actually in foster care, and so she was um, being taken care of um, white people that were, like, hungry and Polish. And um, just a couple weird things happened within that kind of dynamic because she was a bit, like, Tanner. Um, but also when she was introduced to the church, they called her a savage. Oh, wow. And this, yeah. So it, it's just, you know... I didn't really know that when I was younger but to hear about that as I was growing up um and then also like for me I do also believe that like our Christianity has been like colonized also Mm. like it's really white you know (laughs) and it started in the Middle East so I don't know it's just yeah those things definitely came up it's it's honestly
0: a lot to think about no it is and it's um since I believe it's like part of our healing journey right as like people from like Latin America and that diaspora like it definitely is a long and heavy journey, and some days it's harder than others. Um, it's really interesting too. You brought about like Christianity and that those religions being colonized because. So my partner is um, Palestinian, and so we talk about that a lot, right? Too like how mm-hmm. Jesus was brown because <laughs> he was from Palestine, yeah. and it's just Moses been interesting. Was
1: Moses was described as being dark
0: skinned, so exactly. Um,
1: the word Adam in Arabic and Hebrew means like dark brown.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah,
1: so it's just, I honestly feel like the Abrahamic faith in general has been completely whitewashed or light tan washed. Um, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. a lot of conversation with an identity and religion in general. No, It's all def- really
0: interesting. I love it all. Yeah, no, me too. Yeah, it especially it was interesting when he visited... Mexico with me last winter break. Um, Like, not this one that passed, but the one before. Um, You know, he would like meet all my cousins and family members, and they all had all these like very Arab names, and they were supposed to be religious names, right? Like you said, like Adam and Abraham, and all these names. So it was just really interesting to see these two parts of the world kind of come together when he visited. And just really, again, we both, I think, really reflected on that and like, what does it mean when my grandma is like, oh, el pueblo de Israel, you know? And I know she doesn't mean, I think, like, contemporary israel like the way that we know of it now but she means like the way it says in the bible right so it's like
1: yeah what more
0: proof do you want that like jesus and like these this religious movement was from this part of the world that was brown so it's just it's really interesting especially trying to talk about it with your elders i feel like they just can feel very like afraid right of like having to uncover what they've known their whole life
1: It's definitely, like, I don't know, it's really hard and sensitive to talk about, especially when, like, you know, it revolves around family, as Mm -hmm. far as, like, religion and identity, and even, like, um, I've been really um, enjoying the conversation around, like, Dominican identity and how, like, we have such little um, indigenous, like, ancestry in us, very, very little, because, like, The Taino people of the island were basically like almost completely wiped out. And so, within like the Dominican identity, people don't like to acknowledge their like African heritage. Right. And so, I feel like it's similar in the sense also with like religion and it being so whitewashed, and how, you know, that connection to what a lot of people have been taught as being better than you know, they don't want to, um, you know, come to terms with, oh, this is associated with brown and black people.
0: Mm-hmm, because then
1: it brings it down, you know. And I mean, that's a sad reality. And I deal with that reality within my own family. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: But yeah, yeah. Right. no, and I definitely think it's important to note that like, even though like, Islam is not like, um, like, it, it doesn't have to be tied to like, a race per se like there isn't a specific yeah. group of people that practices um, it does become a racialized um, religion because of what has happened in the US and like the connotations it's had right to like Middle East and even to yeah. black people as well and so that's really it's an it's like interesting too to see how this religion specifically has become so associated with black and brown people yet it's still like you know it's just it's also interesting like I think it's interesting to tie it all together for sure um, so I guess how to have these identities you know whether it's been just being from latin america or um being muslim like how have they influenced your journey into sustainability
1: yeah so i think general like being um with my own experience of like you know having my grandpa who owns a farm and just like also my mom because um She wasn't brought up with her, like, Hispanic, Latino culture. She was brought up, you know, in the U.S., very Americanized. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what she really honed in on was, like, Native American culture. So, Mm -hmm. for as long as I can remember, we always visited, like, powwows and stuff. And so, just like the connectiveness to Earth, uh, I think, was brought up um, within that identity. But then also, as a young child... Whenever I looked up at the sky or saw trees move or anything like that, I just, like, I saw all of it as, like, a reminder of God, even Mm -hmm. before I was even Muslim. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think early on that really just piqued my interest in just, like, really loving the earth. It just, you know, it just feels so much made for us, you know, and it's beautiful in our eyes. Um, so there was definitely, like, that connection, um, and then as I got older and started learning about sustainability, one inherently being of, like, a low-income family, I was already, um, sustainable because I (laughs) didn't spend, you know, my family was, um, pretty frugal and we did our best, um. And made the best out of like, you know, just going out into nature. Even now, you know, well not right now, but even before quarantine, like the way we we spend our days whenever we do have a free day is going on hikes and stuff.
0: Um Right. I recently I remember I recently saw on your Instagram you were like out in the woods and you were wearing like a skirt and I thought it was really cute. You were like, What am I <laughs> even doing in nature with this? But it was it was really cute. I thought it was funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought we were just going somewhere where, like, we, I didn't realize we were going to the woods, like, just, like, a cute park or something. But, yeah, so that was fun. And then as far as, like, now what really sticks with me, and this goes back to, like, my faith, um, is just knowing that as Muslims, we are set to a higher standard because, like, we know, like, this life isn't, it, it doesn't end here you know and so we we have to hold like a higher responsibility and i mean it's not easy and sometimes it's not hard but um i just i just feel like i just know that i'm held to a higher standard and to know that like in the quranic muslims are called like caliphs on the earth which are basically like you know we take care of it hmm. you know and so Right now, I think my faith really does push me to, you know, a bit further into my my own intention and how I'm living, you know, right now. I'm not perfect at all at, like, trying to be sustainable or anything, mm-hmm. but I do feel like I have a voice. I can talk about it, and, like, I honestly feel like we all have a higher purpose to do better and influence people to do better. So, yeah, my faith definitely does, like, push me to want to do better just because, one, it's beneficial for, like, people here, for myself, the people I love, but also, like, and it it is worship to God to do good, you know, Mm -hmm. and to take care of this earth. So, yeah, it's all become very much more meaningful, because it's grounded by my faith
0: is there um i know i've been reading a lot that like ramadan is also used as a time for reflection and like maybe changing some habits you know to like you said do better in um this way and like how you've been called do you feel like there's been any sort of like maybe goals or things you've been thinking about this month specifically maybe that have to connect with sustainability um that you would mind sharing like something you've been just reflecting on specifically this month
1: yeah, so um one like right before the month, um, m- m- well, yeah, the, a month before like Ramadan, my mom actually asked about composting, which was really great because I've been on this journey probably for like for like four or five years, but like you know inching in, <laughs> not like throwing myself full in, and so. I tried to compost, like, a couple of years ago, and my mom was just like, um, what is this? No. (laughs) And to see it, like, come full circle and for her to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, let's try composting, especially because now there's so much more of a conversation around, like, you know, the environment, which, like, I'm so happy about. Um, But that's something that was started, and we're, like, trying to, you know, create our first pile of compost. So it's all really exciting, kind of, and... Very interesting because surprisingly, like if you do compost right, it doesn't smell, mm. even though it's like decaying. So I don't know. Um, but on a more spiritual level, as far as Ramadan goes, so like Ramadan be like fast from sunrise to sunset. So, right there, I feel like is like a huge, a huge a minimizing of consumption. Mm. you know and what we do and what you know we can't eat we don't drink so I feel like I don't know why but I've like the whole month of Ramadan is a pretty sustainable thing because of the fact that we you know aren't consuming and also like reflecting on like that consumption and um reflecting on really what we need and how much we need so right now food has become, like, a big thing for me to reflect on, like, it's surprising how little fills me up, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and how little, like, sustains me, and, and so that's definitely something that, um as far as, like, with sustainability, I feel like is important, like, has come to mind, and then also, like, the re- of what I'm eating as far as what I'm consuming but then other things come into mind too right now luckily because we're quarantined like I'm not using like disposable like forks and knives and stuff like that but I think as a community who are talking about this I think people are recognizing the wastefulness that comes when we do gather you know Mm -hmm. Um, to eat side by side with each other and um, also and this is hopefully something I hope to work on. But, like, within my own community, like, how can I bring, like, sustainability up for, like, hopefully before, like, the next Ramadan so that, like, we can be more sustainable and, or how I can have this co- kind of conversation with, like, my local mosque. Um, and also, so I participate in, like, um, a weekly, bi-week, bi-monthly, like, all-girls Islamic group. And we talk about, like, you know, religion and we learn and stuff. And um, so I'm, in my head, trying to, going to approach them to see if I can just talk to them about, like, the Islamic view on sustainability, you know, and how we're supposed to treat the earth. And God willing, I hope that um, sparks, you know, more thought into my community and hopefully, you know, I can, with maybe someone else's help also, can sort of bring this this, I think, really fundamental thing that, like, us as Muslims should be already doing, but I think I think because and this is just, you know, my own thoughts, but I feel like Western lifestyle like, completely disconnects us from nature, kind of, especially living in the city, Mm -hmm. so I definitely think Muslims outside of the West are sustainable, um, just, you know, living in the city and stuff,
0: what can we do? Yeah. No, definitely. And thank you for sharing that. That was also beautiful. But yeah, I agree. Like it can feel when you are living in the US, especially in the part of the US where you are, which is like, you know, very urbanized, it can feel very scary to be sustainable or it can feel like only attainable if you have, you know, the money to buy all these sustainable things. But Mm. I think it's good, like you said, to just implement small changes. You know, like you said, it can be so simple going from like using plastic silverware at a gathering like um, like when you have Iftar or Eid um, mm-hmm. to just using, you know, like your own bowls. Like I was thinking about that while you were talking like, yeah, like why, why would it look so weird for us to bring our own bowl and, you know, glass or whatever from home? So it's just like changing these little things that can help a lot. And especially since so many of these religious gatherings are um, so intergenerational, like you have young kids, yeah. you know, part of it too. It's so important for them to just see these things since they're little. Because even as we yeah. were talking at the beginning, like some of the stuff we saw growing up with our families, like that got normalized in us. So like if you normalize it for them, you know, not using plastic when you gather, then they will just grow up mm-hmm. to be adults who probably don't use that or depend that at all, you know. And so it really, it can feel so overwhelming, especially in the time we are in that, like changes are not happening fast enough, but something like that mm-hmm. can really go a long way. Yeah, no,
1: that's a really good point. As far as like making it, normalized for the youth and hopefully they like Grow up for it to just be like their way of life. I never thought of that. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah No, that's I guess that's just something I've been thinking as I get older like yeah, I've been really seeing this um, sort of in different ways these um, comments about like, you know, what kind of ancestor are you like you living yeah. in this present, like, is already, like, your future self is already somewhere, you know, being an ancestor. And so I've been thinking about that, like, really deeply, like, who, like, what am I kind of, not so much, like, leaving behind as in, like, a legacy, but just, like, what sort of teachings, you know, will I kind of yeah. bring up for folks by the time I'm, an like, a truly, like, an elder, I guess, or an ancestor. So that's why I've been thinking about that, too. And when you were speaking about, like, changes in your community, it just would make sense to me that, like, the youth really yeah. pick that up, you know? yeah. So, yeah, so I think this would be a good time then to maybe just switch to more of like the work you've been doing on ethical fashion, because I think that's a really important issue, especially when you were talking about consumption. I was also thinking about how little I have bought this month. I haven't bought anything. I'm really proud of myself yeah. that I haven't, you know, binged on online shopping during this quarantine because it's like. I'm like, where am I going to wear this clothes to? (laughs) You know, I'm not going anywhere. So um, and I I had an episode on ethical fashion in the first season, like right at the beginning with a friend of mine who was doing her thesis around this. So I love whenever we can bring in different perspectives on ethical fashion, especially this intersection with like um, religion. So, yeah. Do you want to just maybe talk about like anything like anything you want related to ethical fashion, like maybe some stuff you've been part of or things you're working on right now? As far as, like, ethical
1: fashion, luckily, when when uh, you joined in on that, like, Zoom conference with S- Faithfully Sustainable, um, I got to talk about, like, very briefly, like, Rana Plaza. Mm. And, you know, um, Rana Plaza was a building uh, that, like, collapsed and killed over a thousand people, injured over 2,000 people, and those people um, mostly women, uh, and it was in a Muslim country. So I don't know for me, like it just hits home because like they're Muslim, but they're also, they're also like people of people of color, Brown people. And, um, usually within like fashion, the bodies that are, that are used, you know, and like abused basically, um, are Brown bodies. You know, our country is filled with brown bodies. So, it just became really important for me to see that, to see kind of, like, colonization not not leaving, you know, like, it's still here. Mm -hmm. Um, Brown communities and brown people are still being abused. And for me, like, fashion, um, early on, when I converted, became really important um, because of, like, my faith and... I, when I converted, a couple of years later, like, I just really felt inspired to dress more modestly, to, you know, cover my body, um, not necessarily like, cover my hair yet, but um, I was like, you know, um, it was it was a journey, so it was the beginning of my journey, and during that time, I also learned about, you know, uh, fast fashion, and sort of, like, the horrible things that goes into it, and for me fashion just became really important because here I was trying to be um, a good Muslim trying to dress modestly but I couldn't find clothing one that were modest at that time (laughs) but now that there are more modest clothing I can't find anything that like I know you know someone wasn't Someone wasn't, like, abused, you know, or or mistreated or, you know, basically not paid to make this garment, you know. And that, for me, was really, like, was really heavy on me because I believe, like, my dollar is my way of voting. So if I'm investing my dollars into companies that are abusing people, it just, like, uh, it, I, I just can't get over it. Kind of,
0: you know, yeah, it's, it's
1: just too, it just weighs on me. And also, yeah, so early on, that's sort of why I decided um, that I wanted to create um, a modest, sustainable clothing line. And I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that happens, God willing.
0: Um, So do you, so do you make like the, like, are you hoping to make yourself the clothes for like this kind of clothing line? Or I guess like in the recent time, as you've like gone through that journey and really thinking about what you wear, like, have you been making most of your clothes or do you just try as of now, like to kind of thrift shop? Or I guess what are some like, like practices you've been doing in that journey to switch to more ethical fashion?
1: Yeah. So, um, for me, it's been, uh, thrift shopping has been a really great help, Um, but then also, um, early on into my, I guess, sustainable journey, I, um, started practicing minimalism. So I think that minimalism really helped because I just in general stopped consuming, like I just stopped buying things, um, which I think helped me to make the switch to more ethical clothing because, because I don't buy so much, I save money. And because yes. I have a little bit more to spend, I can invest in, like, ethical brands. Um, so, yeah, definitely thrifting. And then, in general, just being more intentional about what I'm buying, what I'm purchasing, what I need. And, you know, having, creating the means to be able to afford it. Um, yeah, so... That's how I've been able to do it. But again, also, the options are slim pickings. <laughs> like, for, for like, modest clothing, mm-hmm. very hard, like, because ethical fashion is still very much, like, it, it's not, like, there's not many modest options for ethical, sustainable fashion. Like, if you go to fast fashion, Zara, you know, has a bunch of dresses, H&M, they're all on the modesty bandwagon, you know, because they realize that. Muslim women wanna wanna buy clothes, <laughs> right? Know? So give us it, you know. So yeah, on that front, fast fashion they have it, but ethical, sustainable fashion, um, because you know it's slower growth, and also because the people who have who have these businesses majority are white, mm. um, you know, it there's a lack of I guess diversity within like what the market. Has to offer people, um, so I think that, and, and then also one thing I really love now during the journey of participating and being more conscious in what I purchase is really looking for people of color-owned sustainable businesses, which there are, you know, and that's even more exciting, and I feel gives me more of a, you know inspiration and push the, you know, um, really invest in those businesses as well. So for me, that's really exciting to see.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, too, because like you said, there are a lot of ethical fashion, like small companies out there by people of color, especially women of color. Um, I obviously haven't been focusing as much on like the modesty aspect, but I've been thinking about it because sometimes, you know, you look at the price tag of something like owned by these companies and you know might be like in the forties, 50s or even like hundred dollars and sometimes you know i'll be like oh no like i can't afford that or something like that but then i think about how much i am willing to spend on fast fashion and it can be about the same amount it's just more pieces you know and so i've been trying to rethink that idea that like why am i so okay spending that same amount of number amount of money on a fast fashion company you know throughout the month throughout the week or whatever and not just give that same lump of money once to or like you know one at one time to this Mm -hmm. like ethical fashion company so I've been trying to think that too and like you said really put into work minimalism so that way it doesn't feel like I have to buy so many things and like I can just invest in one or two pieces from Mm -hmm. these women of color ethical fashion companies that like it's just going to be better overall so it's 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 a a shift
1: yeah I definitely want to add like one thing that I think about when I shop is I think about like the seamstresses and the garment workers, and how like their life their lives are benefiting because they're getting paid like um, typically like a fair living wage um, versus like recently um, Faithfully Sustainable had an event with the the garment worker center and a woman she said like she would work forty plus hours a week and make one hundred fifty dollars a week. Oh wow. In California, who can live off of $150 a week, you know? No, definitely. So, like, for me, um, that's just something I really do think about. I think about people's lives changing completely because they're getting paid more and they're going to be able to, like, afford food and house and rent and, you know, like, just, just the minimum, you know? <laughs> yeah. And not struggle as much. And for me, that's really the biggest push for me to invest. It's not, you know, it, it's. I definitely, like, do, like, the things that I purchase. But to know that people's lives, and hopefully I really want this to be a bigger change, change within all of fashion where every garment worker is getting paid a living wage, you know, being able to have, like, a just life, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and so, definitely. And I hope I'm. I'm really, like, putting in faith right now that, like, this pandemic and everything that's been happening where you know like you can clearly tell like all these fast fashion like companies are just like putting out so many discounts and like you know free shipping and this and that and so just like I hope this really opens people's eyes that like these companies like that's all they care about at the end of the day, right, is, like, a profit. Like, they're not worried about their workers. Um, I drive by this, like, one mall um, near my home, and it's, you know, obviously empty, and so I think about, Uh like, the employees that would work at, like, H&M and, like, this and that. And, like, my Uh sister used to work at H&M, actually, so, like, she still has friends that work in those stores, and she's just, like, you know, they got laid off, obviously, because they can't, like, open Uh the store. And so, again, what is the company really doing for those folks? And so, it's important to think about that like in this time especially like when you know like maybe stay-at-home orders are um, taken away and like we can go out and shop again like physically like what where are you going to shop like think about how these companies reacted during this time and like who were they really yeah. investing their profits in
1: yeah definitely not the minimum wage workers or their garment workers
0: mm-hmm. at all no right and especially because we know these a lot of these garment workers are like abroad they're not even in the u.s like, yeah they're in these like brown countries black and brown countries yeah um and people are
1: canceling their orders i don't know if you sorry oh no I go don't ahead know if you saw there was um sustainable um brooklyn they had um a, a live discussion a zoom discussion i guess um with like mara hoffman who's like a Sustainable, ethical designer, and she sold. She sold at like big, big stores like Nordstroms and Macy's, and they placed their orders and then they canceled. Uh-huh. And so, like businesses are being left with like you know, um, you know, basically inventory that mm-hmm. they they ordered, but they don't have to pay until they actually receive it. So, just these fast fashion in general all these big corporate companies they really don't care about other people they just you know it's just
0: yeah mm-hmm. anyway no definitely that's important to know and yeah i hope this just like both with this episode and just what the information that's coming out like people really kind of rethink this and i know for sure for me as someone who's definitely had a very overconsumption when it comes to clothes and just in general like fashion and beauty beauty Mm. products is another one I've been thinking a lot about it just like how can I minimize my waste when it comes to my beauty products especially because we know like you know our tias and moms like have been making it with a very small amount of like beauty products so like Mm. again how can I take on some of those practices so Mm. all of these are important questions
1: yeah no that's
0: really interesting sort of maybe our kind of last question like what are some barriers you have noticed for including Latinx, and Muslim folks in conversations about sustainability or ethical fashion? Because I know you've alluded to it throughout the episode that, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like you're the only one speaking about these things within your community, or you, maybe if you step into a space that's talking about it, you know, it's mostly white. Like, what mm-hmm. what do you think are some of those barriers, then, that are keeping other folks like you to come into these spaces?
1: Mm, I definitely feel like a big barrier is just, like, representation and um just not yeah not being included in the in the conversation at all especially like and I think Dominique Drakeford does a really good job of talking about this um I'm not sure if you're familiar with her but within like within like New York I've been you know going to sustainable fashion events and I've been following you know all these different like sustainable platforms and you look at their board of directors and they're all white (laughs) and they want to you know they want to help you know I guess like ethics you know so like you know for example like Bangladesh like you want to speak for these people but these people can speak for themselves also Yes. let's give them a platform so I feel like there's definitely a bit of like I guess white savior in like <laughs> 100%. the sustainable fashion
0: 100 um yeah.
1: industry where like they you know they don't so far like there's not a diverse group of people talking about it and I think more recently especially with Dominique Drakeford being so um vocal about this issue um Yeah, I definitely think it's just lack of, lack of representation, and so for me, actually, Dominique Drakeford was a very big inspiration for me to just, like, put myself out into the world, um, because I met her through an event, like, two years ago, and I went to this, this this event was about, um, like, diversity within sustainable fashion, Mm. and, it was it was an interesting event. One I only went for her. Like I was so excited <laughs> to like meet her. Um, but then, when there was a panel during the panel, which was um, hosted by another black woman, but she was French. Mm-hmm. Um, when Dominique Drake first started talking about colonization, and um, there was like this uh, this response of like. Mm, well, let's not demonize white people. (laughs) And it was silencing the voice of Dominique Drakeford, you know? Yeah. And this was, like, two years ago. Oh, my
0: gosh. Um,
1: And the woman who who was saying that she was also black, but she used French, and so, like, her Mm. experience as a black woman is probably different than black people in America who have, like, the whole history. I mean, I don't know much about, you know, her own experience, but... um, Yeah, so I just remember being there and being so, like, upset, you know? Like, (laughs) why, why, (laughs) you know, like, it's okay to make people feel uncomfortable. This is what we need for change, you know? And so for me to see her, you know, speak her truth, but then also to see people kind of wanting to silence it, and, you know, and then two years later to see Dominique Dominique Drakeford on like everything so far in New York regarding Mm -hmm. sustainability Mm -hmm. has been so inspiring and the work she does like um, in Brooklyn is amazing. So yeah, as far as my own experience, definitely the lack of people of color within the space being brought into the space, I feel like is a big issue, but I think, It inspired people of color to really so far like with faithfully sustainable to create their own space like we don't have to you know get on the board of this pre-existing mostly white sustainable organization we can create our own because you know so far it's sort of what we've been forced to do
0: no I've definitely yeah I 100% agree I um so I graduated from like a um, environmental college um, as an undergrad and so I've been in like a lot of these different like you know spaces that are like all about that like sustainability blah, blah blah and so like I agree with you like there's definitely a saviorist complex within all of it which is just so ridiculous that they don't like there's just no acknowledgement at all so like you know like you said there's just this romanticizing that like sustainability and like ethical fashion is just all about like cute, pretty, like, fun stuff, but it's, like, no, we got to talk about, like, what got us here, right, which is, like, capitalism yeah. and colonialism and patriarchy, and so, um, so I agree, I've, I've noticed that sometimes, like, even, honestly, like, elders of color, like, the, in this movement, and as you saw that one um, black woman from France, like, sometimes, you know, folks that have been around, maybe in this, like, community of sustainability for a while, like, are so afraid to like rock the boat that's like I yeah. personally have been like told sometimes by like like folks of color that are older than me like you know don't start your own organization like join this join that and i'm yeah. just like you know like i'm i can't because when we join these organizations we like get tokenized we get silenced yeah. as you saw with like Dominique so it's just like i 100% agree like i think i'm all here for like folks just building their own spaces i mean that's part of why i did raíces verdes i was tired of just like the same conversations with other white folks about sustainability and like uh-huh. me being used as a token in that and I was like you know what I'm just going to create my own space where I'm not going to silence folks talking about like colonization and all these things because uh-huh. that's just our experience and okay. um and like I think I, I agree like you said it's faithfully sustainable and some of the other accounts I've been seeing on Instagram has been really cool because I'm just like yeah we're like this new sort of wave of like environmental justice because we know environmental justice like the movement itself started a while ago right with like the civil rights Uh movement and all these other folks of color um, and black people but I think this is for me at least I see it as a new wave of like okay we tried like kind of joining their spaces and like aligning with how sustainability was viewed then but like we're ready to create our own platforms because y'all are just not giving us the space we need and silencing the conversations about colonization and like critiques of capitalism So, yeah, yeah, I I think it's so important, like you said.
1: I'm so happy that you even created this platform. It's very (laughs) inspiring. I'm just, like, amazed. Like, I love the kinds of conversations that you're having on here. So I'm really happy that you didn't
0: listen to whoever told you that <laughs> when you created this platform yes no i'm not gonna be shady and throw names of older folks but but yeah it was just kind of di- disheartening you know to just see folks that you maybe yeah. thought could be mentors and then and i get it you know like at the end of the day like it was a different time for them like it was either like join or be out but now like we we like. Let's be thankful that now we got the means to make our own spaces and our own platforms and so that like that's what I'm here for, yeah. you know. And so thank you on that. I'm I'm really excited for like the work you're doing and Again, just the intersection of, like, being um, Latina and Muslim, I think, is super important. Um, Mm. So are there any resources? Other, I know you've already kind of mentioned, like, Dominique uh, Drakeford and, like, a little bit of Faithfully Sustainable, but I don't know if you want to talk more about that account specifically or your own or just any other resources you really want to put out there. Mm.
1: Yeah, so uh, Faithfully Sustainable is, like... um, They focus on, like I guess, Islamic-based knowledge regarding sustainability, and I think they're really trying to... And there are a couple other accounts like this, but um, I just know the two girls, the two women who are running it. Um, Yeah, so they focus on that, which I think is great. Dominique Drakeford is great. Um, There's not too many, you know, people of color voices within the space quite yet, Mm -hmm. so... Definitely her. There's Eddie um, D. Mayer, mm-hmm. who I think she's based in California. She's um, Indian. She talks about, like, decolonizing fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really good. Hoda Katebi is Muslim Iranian woman. And she also talks about, like, decolonization within fashion. And um, she even talks about, like, um, what is it called? Prison at
0: oh prison, abolition. prison abolition
1: yeah which is mm-hmm. something new to me the last year I've really um heard about it which I think is amazing it's really cool actually I think right um the the whole idea behind it and what it stands for um no yeah definitely
0: then, I remember the first time I also heard about prison abolition it might have been like my sophomore year of college but it was like I didn't get like super deep into the theory of it but I just remember hearing it for the first time someone be like what if we just like didn't have jails and like this punishment system and I was like oh my god yeah what if we didn't like it was just like in that moment shocking but now I'm just like wow like you know I just was so limited in my thinking
1: (laughs) yeah no it's super interesting it's one of the things like me too like the first time I heard it it really kind of like made me you know I guess realize that and when I when I first heard of it they mentioned this like people cannot see a world without prison Mm -hmm. you know and then to try to imagine a world without it and what that looks like it was really interesting so yeah I mean that's a really interesting topic that I like want to learn more about
0: yeah me too Um, and
1: then the last thing um one of the last Kind of resources that come to mind is the garment worker center mm. and so uh, they support garment workers within um like california and i guess the la garment um district and i think they're just a really good place to really s- learn about you know the unethical practices within fashion even like made in america fashion mm. um And also, like they've brought up the conversation where, like, the governor of California, you know, was praising the fact that they have like this, this seamstress seamstresses out there, but to make like PPE, Mm -hmm. Um, but yet the working conditions are so bad, um, and just like imagine like just being in a sweatshop trying to make these PPE PPE um, masks during the virus. It's just there's such a disconnect, um,
0: yes.
1: within that conversation, but they, I think they're definitely a great place to try to learn more about like, you know, ethics, um, and sort of like the horrible things that happen within fashion to people, um, as a resource and slow factory is also another great place. And they talk about more uh, ethics, but also in the environment and stuff. So, Yeah, I think that's all the resources that come to mind right now. And Soul Factory is also, I think, run by a bunch of people. But um, the woman I know from there, I believe she's like Middle Eastern. I can't remember where she is. She's Middle Eastern, but she's Christian. And Mm -hmm. she's a wealth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also like partners with the UN and stuff. So her name is Celine. I can't remember her last name, but
0: yeah. everyone who comes to mind (laughs) no thank you i'll definitely make sure to like tag them on the um instagram posts and like on the episode notes um on the website but um yeah thank you again for so much information this is it's just so funny how like things align i had been thinking even since last year about doing like an episode centering um muslim voices um because like through my very mainstream like environmental college experience when we did talk about religion and its connections to the environment, it was always obviously Christianity and Catholicism, right? Because it was all like, oh, all these like yeah. older white men went into the woods and wrote about like how they saw God and this and that, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But like, I just like, why are we always centering like what the Bible says about like, like the Catholic, you, you know? know, like what it says about um, the environment. So this was really beautiful for me to like find this community and like be able to reach out with you all and just, you know, like, I know Faithfully Sustainable and kind of your journey as well is at a at a start. So it's really cool to, like, be there together to kind of, you know, launch yeah. these things and, like, be part of these growing communities um, and just really, like, invest in radical imagination. Like, I think that's what uh-huh. you all are doing, right? Like, imagining a world outside of, like, capitalism when it comes to ethical fashion yeah. and um, in a world that also, like, um, loves and accepts, um, like, the Islam faith because, like yeah it's just right now it's very like definitely criminalized and racialized and it's important to like take away the that connotation and like really center Mm. it in a more beautiful way so yeah I don't know if you have any last closing thoughts um before we finish up
1: No, thank you for giving me this opportunity to be on here as I'm growing um I feel really grateful that you invited me on here this is gonna be like something I probably won't ever forget my first time being on a podcast (laughs) so this was super exciting um yeah and thank you so much like you've I've literally written down like a bunch of little things that you've said here and there even like radical imagination and I think we're all just trying to create worlds that don't exist Mm -hmm. you know that we want to see and that will make the world a better place so yeah I think you're definitely doing that so thank you very much for having me.
0: No, thank you, and I, yeah, I've been also, I didn't get to, like, write down, because I don't want to make a lot of noise while I was recording, but I definitely have so many thoughts that you were talking about that I... I want to um, also reflect on. But yeah, thank you again, Cassandra. And thank you folks for listening to Raíces Verdes, a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as black indigenous people of color. To stay updated on future episodes um, and the rest of the series, you can find us on Instagram at Nuestras Raíces Verdes, the website, nuestrasraícesverdes.com and listen to all the episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and tune in at Raíces Verdes. Thank you.